What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from Off Guard, and I've got some exciting news. Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi, is officially moving to our own podcast feed. We are now dropping two shows every week. Me and Pasha go way back and talk so much hoops already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on these conversations. Every week, Pasha and myself will hit on the biggest stories happening around the league. Tap into the show twice a week on our new Off Guard feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on Cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. On today's episode of One Shining Podcast, it is a manic Monday, so we got Kyle Mann back on the show, and we're talking the last undefeated team in college basketball, your Houston Cougars. Uh, shout out to them, and shout out to Kelvin Sampson. Shout out to the Jordan brand. Um, only one team left undefeated in college basketball. It's Houston, so we're going to give them their due, talk about their season, talk about what we can forecast ahead. We're also going to talk about the best game of the weekend. That was Miami-Wake Forest. It was awesome to see Wake Forest play some good basketball and win that game in overtime. Also, we got upsets galore across college basketball. Kansas and Kentucky survive. We got Tom Izzo taking on analytics. We'll talk about the net, and we'll talk about Jawan Howard deciding not to coach at the Palestra. So a lot of stuff happening in college basketball that we're going to get to today. Kyle, anything else before we get into today's episode? Just can't wait to find out who's coaching Michigan next week. But first, Woody Durham. Welcome back to One Shining Podcast. It is Monday, January 8th, 2024, a.k.a. It's a Manic Monday. And for the first time on the show, we have back-to-back Kyle Mann episodes. Kyle Mann, great to see you on this Monday morning. I don't know if I should apologize from the outset. <laughs> you know, sorry, folks, if you wanted a break from me, but you're not going to get one. I'm back. No We're breaks. back. We are so back. You know, turn quick mm-hmm. turnaround, ready to talk some more college hoops. Yeah, we usually do the good, the bad, the ugly, but today we're going to start with the best because there's only one undefeated team in college basketball after this weekend. Chris Beard is no longer undefeated. I don't have to say that anymore. The bit is done. The bit is dead. I am off it. Um, Let's talk about another team that lost. JMU loses. Uh, James Madison, obviously, they were the darlings of this college basketball season after knocking off Michigan State. We'll talk about Tom Izzo and Michigan State a little bit later, but now they're done. So, of course, we have to talk about Kelvin Sampson, and we have to talk about the Houston Cougars 
Cougars, who right now are the only and the last undefeated team in college basketball. And that lends me to my first question to you, Kyle, man. If they are the last undefeated team, if they have the metrics behind them, why are they not the number one team in the country? Let's start there. Uh, it's it's kind of what we talked about in the preseason that they definitely are sort of slow playing this transition to the new conference thing. You know, we laughed a lot about like the the, Kel, the Kelvin quotes about like where the, the dog park. Is. Yeah, it's yeah. the dog park. It's a big it's a big scary dog park with Rottweilers and you know and uh, you know un un you got to be careful. The pit bull people will come after you if you say any if you say nary a nary a negative word. <laughs> well, because pit bulls are sweet, you know what I mean. They just have they that can gear. Be, yeah, yeah, they can be. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, though, there are some pit bulls next door to our house that are terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. I was like looking at my phone the other day. I was walking by, I, like briefly looked and one of them snarled and I like almost pooped my pants. Yeah. It was so scary. It wasn't that extreme. I don't know why I chose to poop my <laughs> pants. Anyway, dogs. So they were sort of like slow playing it into, um, you know, I, I don't blame them for doing this because their conference. And we'll get to a little bit of this about like their projected, you know, quadrant sort of. Uh, alignment or, or allotment of, of teams that they're playing, but they are kicking the crap out of the teams that they do play right now in terms of defensive efficiency. They, there is a seven point gap between them and the second team. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at Torvik, but it's in every, it's in on uh, college basketball analytics. It's on every mm. analytics site you want to pull up under the sun. Their gap between one and two is the biggest gap in like the top 50. It's the biggest gap. So they're just housing people. Um, and, I, let's see. They've only allowed 60 points three times this year. They haven't allowed 70 yet. Now, granted, they play slowly, but, man, they get after it. Have you ever seen, the, like, the footage of them in practice? Like, they're, they're like, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the teams do these hustle drills, but have you ever seen their, like, hustle drills from their practice videos? They're wild, man. Yeah, they're awesome. And I, Fran Fraschilla was at practice uh, about a week ago, and I saw him tweet this. Like, if you're a young coach, you need to come uh, shadow the Houston team as they go through practice and go through drills because they are old school in that sense. There is a uh, a fundamental aspect of the way that they run pa practice. There is also, like, everything has a purpose, um, you know, which is, you know, Hubie Brown would probably love going to a Houston practice and watching them run drills. He would just be, like, fawning about how amazing they are just as Fran Fischilla was. So it's one of those things where Houston checks all the boxes. They're 14-0. Uh, we talked about the dog park. Right now they're walking in the park. They play West Virginia. They blow them out 89-55. to At halftime, the game was over, 48-22. to And when you go down this roster... Um, nobody really, you know, blows your mind. No one's incredible on this team, but they do have one of the transfers that I feel like nobody's talking about. LJ Cryer comes from Baylor. He's playing some great basketball, has been playing some great basketball throughout the season. He's a nice closing option for this team as well. Um, they kind of check all the boxes. And if you look at the just the history of Houston, right, as a basketball program, 83 and 84, they're runner-up in the national championship game. 83 is the Jim Valvano, NC State. Uh, we throw up an air ball that turns into an alley-oop, and they win the game, and Valvano's running everywhere. 84, you play Patrick Ewing, Georgetown, Big John Thompson. I mean, we, we all know how that goes. Elijah Wan versus Ewing, uh, a, a historic matchup in Seattle, but they lose. And then they go just completely dry until 2019 where they make the Sweet 16 again with Kelvin Sampson. No tournament in 2020. Then they go Final Four. Then we get an Elite Eight run in 2022. I mean, they've been checking all the boxes and it does feel like at some point they keep knocking and knocking on the door and it's going to break their way. And I think that playing in the Big 12, even though they haven't gotten to the real part of the dog park yet, Iowa State will be the first one against Otzelberger. That'll be a tough game. Once they get in the dog park, 
and they get hardened and they get toughened, I do feel like we could be having a conversation where this could be Houston's year. And I'm starting to buy the hype. I, I was a little bit hesitant at first, but what I saw on Saturday against West Virginia gave me a little bit of hope to believe this could be the year they actually do it. Do you think there there's anything? I mean, you know, they lose Sasser last year. Uh, they they still have Jamal Shedd in there. I, I'm wondering, it, Cryer, though, is a smaller guard, too. I wondered if maybe there was some, since Sasser's a little smaller, if maybe there was some kind of a shift in, in the way they're defending. But it's very similar to what they were doing last year. You were talking about, like, the schedule coming up. I wanted to pull this up so that we could look. Um, they're projected to play. You were talking about proving it and kind of getting there. They're going to have the chance to prove it. They're projected to have... A thirteen and two again. This is Torvik. They're, they're projected to have a thirteen and two record on quad one wins. Now, I don't. I'm not sure on on his algorithm. Do do you, you know? That's the hard thing about this is like teams. You know, shift from quadrant to quadrant. I don't know if that's true on every single site, but yeah, Utah, Dayton, Xavier, or Xavier, uh, Texas A and M, Iowa State, TCU, BYU, Texas, Kansas, Cincinnati, Iowa State, Baylor, Cincinnati, Oklahoma, Kansas. So they're gonna have a gauntlet to. To prove it, um, I guess it just kind of comes to, they're picking on some of these teams. I'm, I'm not trying to downplay it, but I, I think it does affect that gap that I was talking about between one and two. You know, it's so massive because they're just really kicking the crap out of people. And, it, you know, in the basketball sense, I know love. I know people love to talk about basketball. That's, you know, the, the specific. We, <laughs> we can talk love about it. these analytics sites. You know, I don't want to be, a, I don't want to like be the the subject of to, a guy like Tom Izzo's ire and just mm. talk about analytics all day and the numbers. Let's talk about the basketball part of this, though. Houston is very physical in the way that they, you know, on every, ba and in basketball, you're all aware of this, I'm sure. There are these points where, um, you know, there are hubs, offensive hubs, whether it's getting into the paint, whether it's playing out of the post. Houston really wants to get you on your heels in both of those situations. They blitz ball handlers. They trap uh, in the post more than most teams. Uh, if you go and watch their footage of that, they're just very aggressive about that. And the main reason that they do that is because they want those pick-and-roll ball handlers to be on their heels. They want those post players to be on their heels. They don't want them comfortable passing the ball because when they do that, they put air under their passes. They make those passes longer. And if you go watch all of their defensive possessions, you see that show up over and over again, and they shoot gaps. So, you know, they're really good at containing dribble penetration. I'm very curious to see if you look at some of the big personnel in the Big 12. Um, it's going to be really fun to just see how, you know, we saw them come up against Miami. Granted, some they had some guys have, have a bad game that day. Miami played really well in the, in the tournament last year is what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. But it's going to be interesting to see their philosophy in this conference play, whether it's able to hold up and sustain. Yeah, last year they had this kind of uh, destiny, Jim Nance, we're playing in Houston, Houston can win in Houston. They had all of this drama kind of surrounding this team, and I do feel like they made it the Sweet 16. If you get it the Sweet 16, you have a shot, obviously. Uh, we all know that, but I mean, it just felt like the pressure was a little bit more. This year, they're under the radar a little bit. Purdue is the team that has the pressure. Kansas is right there at number two, so they're number three in the AP poll. They're kind of the forgotten team, even though they're undefeated, so it's setting up perfectly, but the one big question is the bigs. I mean, you know, the, the Faisal and Jamma, the joke was they were the tallest fraternity, you know, in the land. And now you have a team that doesn't really have tall guys. They have big guys. Uh, Jawan Roberts is 6'7", right? I mean, that that's, you, you have the same issue that I have with this Miami team. We'll talk about Miami and Wake Forest a little bit later, where you have Norchad O'Meara, who's 6'8", 6'9". But when you go up against the footers, when you go up against these, these bigs, these Hunter Dickinson types, 
What does that look like? How can they handle that pressure? Um, I like the physicality of Houston, but what happens when a big goes up against a big that's also tall? Um, which and, is, and is uh, balanced and coordinated and it can walk and chew gum, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, right. Uh, exactly. Yeah. That That's going to be the question to me. Like, how does Purdue match up with Houston, right? Who Who is dealing with Zach Eady? Do they have enough fouls, um, you know, at that five position to be able to handle a Zach Eady? Or are they able to make him uncomfortable with their physicality? You know, there, there's a lot of questions that I have just about the size of this Houston team. But otherwise... I really do believe in them. And the funniest part is that Kelvin Sampson, if you watch his post games, he seems to be the most down about this team, or at least like the most harsh about this team. Like they have to get so much better and there's so much room to grow. And he hasn't quite seen them play their best basketball. I think that also gives you some hope if you're a fan of Houston, because you're not playing your quote unquote best, according to your, you know, Hall of Fame head coach and you're 14 and 0, the only undefeated team in college basketball. So um, there's good news for all the Houston fans out there and uh, all the Cougs. And they spell the Cougs C-O-O-G-S. Uh, they, they, that's how they do their Cougs for everybody out <laughs> yeah. there. So that's how you say go Cougs. Yeah, they. Uh, you're talking a little bit. You know, I was skimming kind of through the the West Virginia game, which they won 89-55, another big margin there. Um, very tough. You know, West Virginia, like we were talking, they're kind of a wound. You talk about dogs. They're kind of a wounded dog right now, wobbling around out there. Kirk Chris <laughs> uh, didn't have a good game. Uh, back to earth for for our guy Raekwon Battle. I think they're. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, are, is it too early to say that I'm a curse? If you become somebody suggested, man's men as one of the as I like the that. title. Did, I was like, maybe I'll I'll take that. <laughs> into consideration we'll see if that makes it to the final pitch deck but uh he only had four points in 23 minutes in this one i wanted to point out though um you know shed had uh, jamal shed had an incredible did you see he almost had like a like a quintuple nickel or whatever you call it is that is that the jason kid what's the one where it's the uh it's the you know what i'm talking about where he gets like five 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 anyway he had eight points he had 11 assists five rebounds and four blocks mm, talk about impact four blocks winning. yeah, yeah. Um, I love Jamal Shedd. I mean, they have a lot of guys on their team that one, one, they're familiar facers and two, they're just like good, hard nosed players. You know what I mean? Where you're like, there's not going to be an easy night when you go up and that's your matchup against Jamal Shedd. It's going to be a tough game. And yeah, that's how yeah. Houston is across the board. Yeah. You talked about their bigs too. It's, it's definitely, it is the, the, quintessential fly around team defensively. Like they bring the fight to you. They're not going to hang back. Like they're not going to hang back and just, you know, single cover a guy like Hunter Dickinson and, and be like, please don't beat us. Like they just don't play like that. They bring the fight to you. And you were talking about, uh, you know, Jawan Roberts and then uh, Javier Francis. I think it's Javier. I've, I've never, I don't even know if I've ever heard anybody pronounce it out loud. Uh, but, you know, I love Joseph Tugler is another guy uh, who flies around and blocks things. It's just disruption. They have a disruption team. I wanted to throw some like defensive stats at you really quick. This please. is insane defensively granted these can be a little these tracking stats defensively can be a little wonky sometimes but this is so so extreme that i don't think that it is uh guarding the pick and roll as a team they're only allowing 0.424 points per possession that is a desert folks uh transition they're not letting people get out but in post situations 33.3 percent of post situations that they defend end up in a turnover so that's that's some ass kicking. That's some aggressive mm. defense. So, it, but we're in wait and see mode. You know, they got to prove it. It's uh, uh, we're going to talk about Memphis more later. I know that Memphis and Houston are kind of in the same situation. Like, what more can we do? You know, like, uh, and I, I'm sure we'll talk about that. But um, yeah, they they play hard, man. Houston always fun to watch. I, I'm just curious to see if they're going to be able to do it. It would be good for Kelvin Sampson to bring a title to Houston. Um, I think it would just in the annals of college basketball history because they're a program that has made the, you know, 
six Final Fours. That's tied for 10th in history. They've made the most Final Fours without a championship. So it does feel like if there's a program out there that might be due, it could be this program. And uh, he just injected life in this program. And what he did at Indiana that got him fired is now legal. And honestly, half the things that coaches got in trouble for now is legal. So to hold anything like that against him and act like he's some bad man or some bag man, whatever you want to call him, um, I think that's still ridiculous. And I think most people agree with that. And like I said, look at the tournament history. They've been in the Sweet 16 every single single year since 2019 no tournament in 2020 and if you're in the sweet 16 you can make that run you can make that opportunity you just have to get yourself in the game and Houston's going to be there and it could be their year what is there an equivalent you know you talk about their recent success I'm just kind of looking at like Houston a team that levels up a team that has some history you know but they're a big desert in between you know now and then you're looking at the history of like national title winners it's like since Really, is UNLV really the only comparable thing? I mean, like, you know, UConn was Big East, so that doesn't mm-hmm. count. Um, like, I'm just kind of looking through. Um, I think UNLV is like the only really comparable thing since like 1990, isn't it? Like, can you think? Right. I, I mean, I'm looking at this here. I, I can't see any kind of real analog for what they're what they're going to attempt to do. Yeah, I mean, Arkansas and Houston, I feel like have, but I would say Arkansas has probably been more relevant and in, in, in obviously, you know, I mean, but Musselman coming back there, injecting life back in a program that did it in the 90s, maybe is a comp people could make, but they're also playing in the SEC. So they're, yeah. they're, they're on a major stage. I mean, they were in the American Conference, which obviously was the knock on Houston. And I did think it hurt them at some level. Same with Gonzaga, where you kind of go in this lull period after you get done with the non-conference, and then you come back and you're getting hit in the face with the best version of the same teams that you were playing earlier in the season. And it's kind of a little bit of whiplash, and you get lost in the game. And look what Baylor did to Gonzaga in the national championship game in 2021. So I think Houston... We might see the best version of Houston in the in the NCAA tournament this year. Unfortunately, their seeding might be hurt because they lose some games in conference that, you know, it just happens when you play good teams in conference and they're in the best conference now in the Big 12. Yeah, it might end up being a net positive for them. I know we're, you know, pardon the pun with net is something that's going to come up <laughs> some more on this show. But like, um, I, I think it'll probably end up being a net positive. And that's kind of the, you know, that's kind of the Izzo mentality, I feel like, you know, you can you can either try to sort of like, um, you know, be sort of an architect of your schedule and sort of like perfectly try to plan it. You know, I know like some and and schools that are in, you know, less advantageous situations. I know like for football, for us here, they have to very carefully plan the schedule because they're not as talented and they know their schedule is going to be super brutal. So I guess they're kind of, they're going to have to think that way, but ultimately I think it'll pay off for them. You know, it's, it's better, I think, than to get some sort of scars on your knuckles going into the NCAA tournament rather than going with no scars, but also never having faced, you know, somebody, you learn some things. I I think there's value in that. I I think it's going to end up being a good thing for them. Yeah, in 2021, 2020, 2021 season, everybody made fun of them. They played Our Lady of the Lake, and then they made the Final Four with Quentin Grimes. So, um, Which it is does an feel- M. Shyamalan, Shyamalan movie, right? I think, <laughs> they play? Yeah. Right, exactly. And uh, that's just, uh, you know, it just goes to show that even when we do have that argument like they haven't played anybody, uh, they still made the Final Four that year. And, you know, if things break their way, who knows what happens. So, uh, Kelvin Sampson, Houston, the last undefeated. Shout out to them. Uh, they're making things happen. Let's talk about the best game of the weekend. Um, this was an old Raycom classic. If you watched ACC back, basketball back in the day, just like a big Saturday showdown. Miami, Wake Forest in Lawrence Joel Coliseum. We got, you know, the Demon Deacon on the on, on the motorcycle, on the court, just revving it up. I mean, this has just been going on since Skip Prosser was there 
Love to see it. Love the atmosphere there. And this is one of those games where Wake last year, I think they should have made the tournament, but obviously they didn't. Um, but you have to win this game at home. Miami is, you know, shorthanded. No Wuka Poplar in this game. But Keyshawn George um, was incredible. But the real star of the day was Boopy Miller. And we did our all, name, all names list at the start of the year. We did not put Boopy Miller on the list. Big mistake. Uh, in hindsight, idiotic mistake. Um, but Boopy Miller was incredible in this game. Did you watch this game on the CW? I know it's hard to watch games on the CW, but what were your thoughts on Wake Forest in this game? Yeah, after the promos for Seventh Heaven and stuff like that, <laughs> right? It's like, uh, I don't know. when I Yeah, when I turned... Uh, I, I kind of like about, the CW sports like shirts, though. I mean, I, I was looking at it. I was like, I, I was looking at Mike Jaminski. I was like, I think I need one of those shirts, man. The CW sports just has has a little bit of fun to it. I don't know why, but I, I enjoyed watching it on Saturday. Wouldn't shock me if like a CW producer from that area is just <laughs> listening to this because like, you know all those people. <laughs> it always, I hope it so. Never, never shocks me. It never <laughs> feels a surprise. To me. Uh, I, I like. Um, yeah, I, I think it, I think it, I feel like that's a thing that ha we haven't totally lost it, but it's definitely not as much of a thing. Like Jefferson Pilot was our big thing. I know they did ACC too, though. I'm talking yeah. about like. 90s early 2000s like you know i i always thought it was funny that like there was always for non-kentucky games there would be two kentucky guys it just had to be cringe for all the other sec schools anyway watching this game um yeah uh boopy do we have like an etymology do we have like a, a source uh, you know we got some explanation on wooga poplar his name boopy i don't know I, do we know any kind of origin for that that name well, his name is Kevin, and I guess Kevin okay. Miller is so boring that they're saying we have to give him some other iteration of this nickname because the Kevin Miller does not match the game. The name does not match the game, and Boopy does match the game. I mean, he had a huge logo three in overtime, and, and it just felt like the entire arena erupted, and that was kind of like game over. And uh, if Kevin Miller hit that shot, it wouldn't have hit as hard as Boopy Miller hitting that shot. Would you say that was the, unfortunately, that's that's game moment of the game? <laughs> Absol absolutely. It okay. took until overtime. Um, also, he's from Chicago, uh, Kevin Miller, a.k.a. Boopy Miller. So I feel like it has to be... Um, you know, something like an AAU coach or someone growing up was like, yeah, everybody calls him Boopy. You know, when I was growing up, there was all these kids called Bubba. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the kid, his name was Jeremy, but everybody's like, oh, that's Bubba, you know, and they'd be fast and tough as shit. You know, you're just like, OK, yeah, never <laughs> want to mess with a dude named Bubba. Yeah, never, uh, never. Or box <laughs> one out Um, on on the game specifically, though. I mean, this was a game of big swings. I mean, uh, Miami jumped out sort of at the beginning, but Wake, Wake Forest fought back and kind of. But then they held the lead from about the 10-minute mark in the first half till about the 12-minute mark in the second half. And then Miami makes another run. And then uh, and then Wake Forest comes back. It, the big thing, that I think, whenever I watch, you want to talk about the, you're talking about whiplash. The whiplash from watching Miami or from watching Houston guard the ball to Miami guard the ball, um, you know, Wake Forest was just able to get in the paint and get and spray it out to, to their perimeter guys throughout this game. Uh, they they just uh, manufactured more looks and, and kept Miami kind of in in rotation a lot. And I think that's ultimately what hurt them. It's like Miami and Marquette are both these teams that, you know, their their strengths sort of set them up to have weaknesses, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you agree or disagree with this, but um, it just seems like they can beat anybody. But I also wonder, you know. I don't know. It, it seems like they they could sort of take a higher seed to to that to the limit, but the, I don't. I just don't totally trust them. I feel like there are a few different teams this year that are like that, and the defense I think is the main reason why. 
Yeah, and they're only six guys, at most seven guys deep. That's my problem with Miami. I mean, if you look at the starting lineup, they played incredible. I mean, Nigel Pack has 15, Keyshawn George has 21, Matthew Cleveland has 17, Norchad O'Meara has 20 and 13. Um, out of those four guys, like what else can you expect? And then they get literally nothing from their bench. I mean, they had three bench points in this game. So I, I mean, it's I know like Larry Nega, that, yeah. that starting five is strong, but it's like, you gotta, you gotta be able to water the plants a little more. You can't, you know, it's, we they just can't need, even stagger their lineups. They're just not getting anything. Yeah. Yeah. And they have no big behind Norchad, uh, to help him out. And even in this game, Andrew Carr, I mean, he was giving him a fit, you know, Wake Forest in general, their size and their length on the boards, the offensive boards, especially they were able to overpower Miami and you could see the fatigue in overtime where Miami's like, we've put up a good fight. We we have played great basketball, but uh, unfortunately, that's game. Uh, Boopy Miller has taken over. Cameron Hildreth was also great in this game and uh, is a guy that doesn't get talked about enough when you talk about this Wake Forest team. And Steve Forbes is another guy, uh, you know, that doesn't get talked about enough. And uh, now you're seeing him come up on, you know, people's best transfer, transfer portal recruiters and things like that. I saw Jim Beheim talking about how impressed he was with Coach Forbes. And, you know, a guy like Alondis Williams, who played at Wake Forest a couple of years ago, I just saw him drop 55 in the G League the other night, and you're like, Coach Forbes. I mean, th this guy's hitting everywhere, and um, Wake Forest is a really good team. Hunter Salas was great in this game for them, 18 points, 7 rebounds. Uh, again, they haven't lost with Efton Reed playing, even though he had only 2 points in this game, did have 11 rebounds. Um, that was important in this one, had some foul trouble as well, but uh, Wake Forest is a tournament team. I think they're, you know, obviously tied for first in the ACC, but I think they're going to be a tough out in the tournament, and uh this is the first time I've believed in Wake Forest since 2009. Shout out to Jeff Teague. Shout out to the Club 520 podcast. Uh, you know, but with Ish Smith and Jeff Teague and, uh, you know, James Johnson. I mean, that that team, Al Farouk Aminu, that was the last time Wake Forest really hit for me where you're like, wow, this team is legit. And I think this team might not be on that level. Like that team was number one in the country. But I do think that they're, you know, in a tournament level. And if anyone has them on the bubble, the bubble boys put them on the bubble. That's just blatant disrespect because, like I said, this team since Efton Reed has come back has been awesome. So shout out to Wake Forest. Shout out to Miami. Uh, they were competitive in that game. Both teams are 11 and three. Um, yeah. So there, there, there's no, there's nothing really to to say other than that it was a great game. Uh, I, I didn't come away with that game saying, "Oh, Miami put them down a tier." You know what I mean? I'm like, both these teams are really, really good, and that's good for the ACC. Yeah, I think whenever when Wake Forest, when it comes to tournament time, uh, you know, they'll have to take into consideration sort of the the dual sort of resumes that they have. And, and the you know, the Efton Reed thing is really important. I think, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about this. I'm like, have we overreacted a little bit about Miami? I mean, the Colorado thing was just so eye opening. Um, I was looking at, you know, it's just kind of the ebb and flow of this bench thing. You know, for, for Miami, it's a matter of like, are they able to, it's the sort of toggle, the the sort of like uh, really sinister toggle between like, can they produce turnovers and get out and run or do those become fouls? Because in this game, they just didn't produce, you know, points off turnovers. Mm. Uh, their last five games, they had been at 12.4. In this game, it was only six. Um, their bench in their last five, 10.8 points in this one only three and their defensive rating came way down. You know, they'd been playing a little bit better lately. So that's just, that's a tough game to play. If you play somebody that's not able to, you know, like I said, they, they stayed in rotation. They weren't able to, able to kind of impose their will. You know, if they play against those teams, they could go home early. If they get those, you know, if they get those deflections, if they get, you know, out and running, they can beat anybody. But that's why I have a hard time trusting them. But man, they're super fun to watch. They're still, I, Nigel Pack, I was looking at the numbers. I was like, in my gut, I felt like 
did you expect him to take a step up this year? Like, what what are your feelings on Pack? I know I'm putting you on the spot with that, but well, I think you know a lot of people expected maybe the scoring to go up without Wong there. Like he's just going to get more shots by proxy. But I do think a lot of those opportunities have been given to Poplar. I shouldn't say given to Poplar, but I mean he's earned those opportunities. And then I mean Keyshawn George, uh, I'm I'm really impressed. I mean I I'm looking at him and I'm like this guy. How's this guy not a prospect? I mean he's got the size, he's got the shot. Um, I think he's a really smart basketball player. So I I mean I I'm kind of buying in more to him. But I think Nigel Pack as a facilitator is really important. And they have to get Norchad involved in the game. You know Norchad just can't be a secondary you know third guy on this team. I mean he should be primary. Uh, depending on the matchup and in this game it felt like it almost started with Keyshawn George uh, Binsley Joseph did not play great in this game I think he only had like six points I want to talk about Binsley Joseph really quick <laughs> yeah, please yeah. well I, w- I want to give uh, I- I'm going to I'll mention this play and I wanted to give Norchad flowers uh, here in a second to take him to the floors um, that'd, that'd be a good segment for us the floors yeah take um, him to the floors yeah, yeah. Uh, drive him there. But Binsley had one of the more ambitious passes I've ever seen in a in a college game. I don't know that I've ever seen somebody try this. This was like really some like and one tour type stuff. He was he had a left side pick and roll where I think he just he got all the way to like the low block and and I think I think it was Omir popped literally popped straight to the top of the key. So this was a like straight south to north pass that he tried. He gets in the air. I don't even know, 15, 18 feet between them. He jumps in the air and tries to throw a left-handed behind-the-back bounce yeah. pass directly 18 <laughs> feet behind him. It wasn't like he just like got trapped and just like kind of lost it. He tried to throw an 18-foot uh, behind the back bounce pass from the from the from the block to the top of the key. I don't think I've ever seen anybody try that. I applaud his ambition. <laughs> you know, I applaud. That's one of those in pickup where I'm like ambitious. Sorry, you know, you're apologizing to everybody. Um, you know, it, it it was just it was a rough one. Yeah, but I wanted to give Norchad some. He's been more productive this year. Speaking of, you know, n- not necessarily like purely in counting stats at eighteen point one, you know, points, almost ten rebounds, but uh, his. Two point percentage is up, sixty seven point seven. So he's been good, but they need to. You know, I don't know if Pack has another level to. You mentioned George. I don't know if Poplar has another level to go to, but uh, they're definitely going to need some more from their bench. I think Poplar and George, and obviously, you know, one of those guys. I think George will probably end up going going back to the bench when Poplar comes back. But I think George coming off the bench is a nice uh, wrinkle for this team and somebody that now he's kind of unlocked his offensive, you know, capacity at some level. Um, I think that adds another layer to this team. So I, I still believe in Miami. I think Miami is going to be a tough team in the tournament. And uh, I know that Kim Palm was like dancing on their graves uh, after that Colorado game. But uh, I'm not going to do that here. I'm, I'm going to believe in Miami and Coach L. Grab your game day gear because college basketball is buzzing and FanDuel wants you to join in on all the fun. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. If you go right now to FanDuelSportsbook.com and look at some of the futures of the conferences, you can find some great value here. I mean, one example is in the ACC. NC State right now is 3-0 and in the ACC, tied for first, but you can get them at plus 2,000 to win the ACC. That's some good value. Also, you get Miami, who looked great this 
weekend, even though they lost to Wake Forest at plus 1,000. Wake Forest is there at plus 700. So a lot of value for all the people out there that love futures and love conference outright winners. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to join than now. The app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet. Live same-game parlays, easily find bets in the Explore tab, dive into the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com OSP and make this college hoop season one you won't forget. Must be 21 or older in President Select States. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Let's talk about the other upsets because there were a ton of upsets on Saturday. Um, number seven, Marquette lost. Number 12, BYU lost. Number 13, Colorado State lost. Number 16, Clemson lost to my North Carolina Tar Heels. Number 17, FAU lost. Number 19, JMU lost. Number 20, Texas lost. Number 22, Ole Miss lost. And number 23, Providence lost. Um, that is a that is a slew of good basketball teams that ended up losing on Saturday. Is there one upset that maybe shocked you the most, Kyle Man, of that group? I mean, was it Marquette? I know a lot of people were shocked about that one when they saw the results. BYU was a team a lot of people would fall in love with. Cincinnati, um, they were in the dog park with those guys and got a big win, uh, won the race to 69. Texas, a lot of people were upset about Rodney Terry right now, uh, losing to Texas Tech. Is there one that stood out to you? I like this. The the dog park thing is the thing I'm going to like put a pin in and think more about. <laughs> I, I enjoy this. I enjoy the Big 12 being a dog park. Um, it's a great dog park. Thank you, Kelvin Sampson. I mean, the Seton Hall one, I mean, should we be surprised? I was thinking about that. I, it's, you know, we we know, Lord knows I know personally, Shaheen Holloway is is a big game coach, uh, mm-hmm. much to my epic chagrin. Uh, like, yeah, I mean, I mean, they uh, they played well. And, and Seton Hall, I don't know if we should be surprised at this point, you know, because they they have a win against UConn. They have a win against Marquette. They have a, game, a win against Mizzou. Kadari Richmond was awesome in this game, uh, attacking mismatches, just bullying them, straight line drives. That's the thing. It's 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 very similar to the Miami thing. I was watching this game and I was just like, Jesus, like the straight line drives that Marquette was allowing in the game. I was like, you just can't do this and survive. Uh, mm. Not a good game from Tyler Kolek. I think he had like five points. He had like six assists, I think. But just And was talking not- to Seton Hall fans like before the game. There was like a video of him like talking to Seton Hall fans, basically like I'm going to bust you guys' ass. And uh, that, that did not, <laughs> that was like the worst. That was the worst thing to see for him. I like Tyler Kolek, but that was not good. So, uh, yeah, I mean. Shaheen Holloway, the, the most famous, we do that. You know what I mean? Like in his post game, like that's what we do. And it's like they bring the fight. Like that's that is who they are. And they're built for the Big East. Uh, if there's any team in the Big East that's built for the Big East right now, Seton Hall looks like that team and they have the right coach for it because I think Shaheen Holloway takes some of the stuff with Shaka or Pertino, like some of the credit that these coaches get. He's like, Where's my? Can we go to the floors for me, please? Like, yeah, give me my drive credit. Me to the floors. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's happening. You know, I mean, I mean, I I think they're a fun team. I really do. I like Seton Hall. Um, and I like the the moxie of the Big East. I like the way that this team plays. And uh, I wasn't shocked by this game. You know, being a win for Seton Hall either. You know what I mean? I I, I most most people would say, "Wow, the number seven team in the country." But Marquette's had you know a proclivity so far this season that they can get hit in the mouth and almost be stunned a little bit and Seton Hall is a team that's willing to throw punches from from day one so um, yeah one shot yeah, it's interesting to see how you know Marquette's team speed affected Creighton you know we talked about like on the glass and things like that like they just had a field day and then to see them kind of like um you know you talked about taking a punch um yeah they 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 didn't respond to it well that day you know if you're gonna talk you know that's what's gonna happen yeah uh, other than, I mean was there one that jumped out to you that, that you savored the most is is there a Seton Hall 
Is there like a, we love the storylines, right? We love the narratives in the NCAA tournament. Is there like a Shaheen Holloway like tournament thing? I'm pulling this up with no prep. Uh, is there a Seton Hall kind of? Would it be funny if like Cal had to coach against you know Holloway again with this yeah. Seton Hall group? Yeah, with his alma mater. I mean, I yeah, I mean, I think that would be uh, electric television. You know what I mean? And I think even if we got like a Big East on Big East uh, in the NCAA tournament, those were always fun. Um, like, you know, 85 title game, you get Villanova taking on Georgetown. And it's like we, these teams know each other so well. Like, what if we got Shaheen Holloway and Seton Hall taking Danny Hurley and the national champs in the tournament? You know what I mean? It just breaks that way where we're in the Sweet 16 and these two teams are playing each other. And it's like that's Danny Hurley's alma mater and Shaheen Holloway's alma mater. The C, You know, maybe we get Raftery on the call. He coaches Seton Hall forever. You know what I mean? They were Hall in and uh, we're just hearing a full Seton Hall story. You know what I mean? That that could be fun. I mean, there's a lot of ways it could break where I think Shaheen Holloway, even if he like if they played FAU in the tournament, right? Where it's like Dusty May is the darling of college basketball. Every top tier program's like, maybe we make a run at Dusty May. And Shaheen Holloway's like, what about me? Yeah. <laughs> why, why are you not it giving me you wonder that how one? long, yeah, the stepping stone <laughs> question. It's like, I wonder at what point does duty to alma mater kind of expire? And it's like, all right, guys, I've got to, you know, I'm, you know, you strap the guitar around your back and you go to, you drive to Nashville. I got to, I got to leave home at some point, guys. You know, well, uh, it, like, it used to be prestige <laughs> of another job might take you away from your alma mater, but everyone kind of gives you the side eye. Like, man, that's kind of like a little disloyal, but like you do you. But now I think it might be NIL money and opportunities. Like if some program comes to Shaheen Holloway, let's say Miami, for example, not that this would happen, but let's say Jim Laranega retires. Miami's like, we got the cupboard is full uh, with Adidas money. We have the bags. So we are willing to drop the bags. <laughs> Dusty May said no. Shaheen Holloway, you're next on deck. And he's like, all right, I'll go down and live in Miami and be at the Miami Heat facility and learn from Pat Riley and drop bags and go yeah, try to win championships for Miami. For yeah, sure. right. <laughs> that, that would be like a world in which I'm like, you can't get but so upset with them. Uh, it would be a couple of good ones. I think um, I'm just trying to think of like other. Ch I'm trying to put chippy forces together and just like, you know, just throw them in the pot like that meme and back away as it <laughs> catches fire. Like, I wonder I wonder if we could get like a, a Shaheen Penny matchup. That would be fun. Penny's oh, cool, cooled a little bit. He's 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 mellowed a little bit in his in his veteran, you know, co college coaching age here. I, maybe he could maybe Shaheen could stir him up a little bit. Stack could be interesting. Um, I don't know. I just I, I think those two those two could be fun potentially, but uh I don't know. I, I also was thinking you mentioned like the conference thing in the tournament. I think that's always really fun because you get a little bit of the of the the surprise stylistically from some teams playing each other in a one game scenario. And it's it's just really fun whenever you get teams that know each other, like you know, the ultimate version obviously being like the Duke UNC. That, that was probably the best. Is that the best version ever? I know. I know uh, that. I think. I think it's the best. It's the best Final well, Four game I've ever seen in my entire life. I uh, in person. It can't be the biggest ver ever because you know Nova. I think Villanova Georgetown has to be the biggest ever, right? I would say. Yeah, eighty five because it was the national championship game probably takes the precedent there. But I mean, the Carolina Duke iteration because of all of the narratives and storylines going into it, and the fact that like. All Duke fans had said since the game in Cameron was, you know, we want Carolina. Even Paolo Bencaro after the game is like, we want Carolina. Um, Carolina lost to Virginia Tech in the ACC tournament, so they didn't see each other in the ACC tournament. A lot of Duke fans were saying Carolina was dodging them. Um, so there was all this buildup into it, too, where it was like, oh, Carolina's trying to dodge Duke. Coach K is going to have his revenge on Carolina. This is set up perfectly 
And it's in New Orleans, which is the first place Dean Smith won his national championship. I mean, there was just all this crazy, you know, stuff that like if you're really in the weeds, you're like, well, wait a second. This is a grand stage for these two programs to go at each other. Um, of course, Kansas was just waiting on the other side for them to kill each other. <laughs> they were yeah. the um, but we'll let yeah. you guys fight it out. Yeah, but <laughs> it, it is always fun to see that just because I think, you know, that they're the. the the amount of tape is different because you play it on it's 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 always it's always fun to see that happen it's always a good game uh you mentioned the upset that that struck me the most mine's gonna be byu uh we talked about the young pope on our last show on friday uh i really like this byu team but i really like Wes miller west miller's a maniac um you mentioned we off the air we were talking about kentucky coaches uh and rick patino made a quote this weekend that when his team loses he wants to kill himself and we were talking about coaches that have nothing but basketball driving their entire existence. Um, Tom Thibodeau is kind of the poster boy for that. I remember he was on Bill's podcast years ago and he's like, I was engaged to my fiance. I literally called her from the office and said, I'm marrying the game of basketball. It's it's over. Um, and that man has stayed true to that reality. He's married to the game of basketball. Billy Gillespie at Kentucky, he had nothing but basketball, <laughs> no wife, no nothing. Wes Miller is the same kind of candidate. Like, yeah, uh, he was at the Maui Invitational. They're doing the little, they're asking about, you know, stories about your wife. What, what does your wife say when you're on the road this many months or whatever, you know? And he's like, don't have a wife, you know, like simple as that. And it was such a cold answer. I was like, man, this guy's a stone cold killer. And if you watch the Cincinnati game, his team plays um, with the, with the type of toughness that is impressive. We talked about the dog park, but this game, the thing that really stood out to me was the introduction of Jizzle James to the world. Um, if you haven't kept up with Jizzle James, he was on our all names list and uh, he is the son of running back Edron James. But in this game, he plays 13 minutes and he has 12 points, three rebounds and one assist in those 13 minutes. So he made the most of his opportunity and he was really the difference in the game. They ended up winning by 11. Jizzle James, like I said, had 12 points. So I, I consider him the X factor, the one who actually changed uh, the, the ceiling of the Cincinnati team in this game. And he was awesome. Uh, Cincinnati's a lot of fun to watch. BYU's a really good team. So this was a great win. And now Cincinnati's 12-2, and two, and they're not even ranked. Um, so put some respect on Cincinnati. They're also playing in the, in the Big 12. And uh, I know we love the Big 12 now uh, all across college basketball media. So if we love them so much, rank the Bearcats and uh, rank Wes Miller. So I thought that was a big win. And shout out to Jizzle James. Yeah, I love the double whammy of you're like, oh wow, what a what a great. It would be enough for someone just to be named Jizzle, you know. It'd be you know, which is his nickname, <laughs> yeah. but it, it would be that would be enough. But uh, the fact the, the fact that you follow up with that he's Edrin James's son, which I think I told you, I th- I told you, I vividly remember watching him for the first time and like seeing him be like, dude, that kid's face. What I was because he looked. I'm not gonna act like I knew for sure, but I was like, I knew he looked familiar. And then when I saw that he was his son, I was like, you know, texting like KOC and, and everybody. I was just like, this is unbelievable. Uh, but, you know, uh, Cincinnati, they had some success. Well, twofold thing here. They, they had some success sort of like straining the things that BYU likes to do. We talked a lot about it last week. Uh, you know, not a successful pick and roll game for BYU in this game. Point three eight nine on the ball game. And, uh, you know, the cutting game, you know, they, they got into it a little bit, but there's kind of a responsive thing that didn't really work. The handoffs, 0.545 in this game. So Cincinnati just did a good job shutting the water off here. Wes Miller, you, how much do you love him, Tate? How much do you love him? How much do I, you, I'm, yeah. I'm telling you, I love him, but he's a maniac. I mean, and I'm 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 always like, well, you know what I, I'm asking I res- you. 
Yeah, I respect maniacs, uh, but I they also I'm a little terrified of maniacs too because you remember who was a maniac who coached at North Carolina? Matt Darty. Uh, this guy was throwing basketballs that were shot McCants's head in practice. Well, so it like, was you the gotta, shot McCants, to be fair, in his defense. <laughs> Looking back, hindsight, uh, not you know, not <laughs> the craziest. <laughs> yeah, we don't know. We'll we'll let, we'll let Stephen A. and Rashad argue that out. Um, but yeah, that that's uh, that's my only concern. But I mean, yeah, Wes Miller. Every time Wes Miller does a good, Carolina fans circulate the good and they say, hey, Wes Miller looking pretty good. I mean, everybody likes him. 2005 national champion came back in 06, hit some big shots. Everybody fell in love with him. I mean, people love Wes Miller. And uh, I'm not saying it's re- I'm ready for Miller time. I'm very happy with how the season is going for Hubert Davis and the staff. But it's good when you have, uh, you know, people in the coaching tree doing well. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. even if you're Coach K and you look at Chris Collins at Northwestern, you're like, I like that we got a guy out there just in case, you know, just in case we need to break and say, let's break go back glass. to the old ways. Yeah. We got a guy out there that's ready to go. So good to have good players and good coaches in the family. That's all you can sure. ask for in the blue yeah. blood life. You know what I mean? That That's all it is. Well, I'm glad you're content. You don't seem as desperate like for it. So that's good. <laughs> I'm glad that you're feeling better about Hubert and all that stuff. So that's good. I'm, that's positive. I'm feeling better about this North Carolina team because I like toughness and I like tenacity. Let's talk about some blue bloods, by the way. Um, a lot of drama in this Kansas TCU game this weekend. Um, there was a controversial flagrant one where an elbow hits Hunter Dickinson in the face. They stop a fast break, which is my, my biggest gripe, not even the flagrant one, which is, uh, you know, its own conversation. My biggest gripe to blow the play dead after this and then stop a fast break opportunity. I feel like they could have let the play play out and then go back, look at the tape, decide it's a flagrant one, then give Kansas the basketball. And then it seems a little bit of a fair trade, but instead they stop. Of a fast break opportunity to look at the tape, then give Kansas two free throws and the ball back uh, because it was deemed a flagrant one. That just felt like an egregious thing to do when TCU was on the verge of almost breaking the game open a little bit there. Um, I understand Kansas fans. Their argument is basically he did get hit in the face. Like, say whatever you want. He got hit in the face. And I I saw the tape. He did get hit in the face. So Hunter Dickinson, like he was not acting. It was not a flop. So I get that. By the by the by the rule itself, it is a flagrant one. But to stop gameplay for reviews is insanity to me. And we have to stop that. And we have to get these officials under control. And uh that was my biggest gripe with the whole situation. What were your thoughts? Did you see this live? Because this was uh this was a big Twitter fiasco. A lot of screenshots being shared between people um, because there's also a a controversial travel and Hunter Dickinson on the game winning basket. We can yeah. talk about that as well. I feel like you know shuffling your feet whenever you're in a crowd is something that just kind of happened. I'm you know we've been on the right end of, of that one before. That's just kind of that, and those are tough calls to make in those situations. I mean another another you know part of this is that uh, TCU. Um, you know, Ernest, Ernest Uday, I, I always watch, I want to clarify to people who give me shit about saying names wrong. I watch games a lot of times with the sound off and I'm listening I, to mu- music I, that I like. So I don't hear the way they get pronounced. So I catch myself for somebody who watches. I can't listen to some of the announcers. So I, yeah. I have to do the same thing. It's, it's a very fair thing. And look, at the end of the day, guess what, folks? We're from the South. So uh, it's yeah. hard for us to say names. So leave us alone. We yeah. have such leave a hard a- time. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to throw that record. card here just <laughs> conveniently for me. Yeah. So anyway, but he, Ernest was at Kansas last year, you know, and played in mm-hmm. 30 games, and, but only got 8.3 minutes. So that was an interesting thing for them but like watching the play specifically you know when you're in a crowd there is that natural sense you know he gets an offensive rebound like you said that was triggering a break uh they got to stop he gets it 
he just I don't think that it was on purpose. He, he doesn't strike either. me as that type of player. It's just like sometimes when you're in a crowd, you kind of like you do put your arm out, you know, like, you know, making sure that you're clear or something like that. I've gotten hurt a lot in a crowd, so I definitely have that instinct to kind of like give myself space. It's just he, the place that he happened to extend his arm. I mean, it, it was it was weird, but, it you know, we don't have the minority report, you know, precogs to determine whether <laughs> he meant to do that or not, you know. so I don't think he meant to do it, but I do think it did happen. So I understand why Kansas fans are like, shut up. This happened. You're saying we fixed the game. It's what, you know, it's on the tape. You can argue it until your face is blue. Um, and it's also a blue blood home syndrome. This is what happens when a blue bloods play at home. They're going to get some moments where it's like, if you want to beat a blue blood at home, you have to beat them by 10 straight up to win by one. That's just the rule. And if you want to beat Duke and Cameron <laughs> Indoor, you have to beat point. them by 15 to beat them by one. Um, that's just the reality of the situation. We all know that going into it. So I understand the frustration of TCU fans, but this is the privilege of the blue blood lifestyle. You know what I mean? It just comes down to it. And Hunter Dickinson, at the end of the day, they did execute and they did score and they did win the game. And I think when Kansas goes to TCU, they're probably going to get a taste of their own medicine. If I if I were to you know forecast what that looks like, um, I think I think TCU is going to be you know trying to prove their own version of home cooking when they get to Fort Worth. So um, it just what happens in college basketball. Uh, ref manipulation is nothing new, but this was a this was a whole thing uh, to say the least. And when Hunter Dickinson is involved, headline Hunter. Um, we all know that it goes up another gear because people already don't like him. So oh, when yeah. he's in a situation like that where it's like a travel could be there or like did he flop on, you know, an elbow? Like there's always going to be this. He's kind of like an old fashioned Duke player where it's, it's like the Leitner realm is literally yeah. what I was going to say. It's just he gets like no every benefit little... of the doubt. Yeah. Everyone's against him. <laughs> yeah. Give you an ex well, <laughs> I I didn't talk to my, to my dad on Saturday after the like after the Kentucky game. Like, let's usually, talk about that. By the way, well, let's talk about uh, the Kentucky game. I want to a couple, just a couple more thoughts on TCU really quickly. Uh, I'm you know I'm not trying to steer your sh show here. No, Tate, no, but I'm, no. I'm going to. Damn it. Um, no, <laughs> my, my dad. My dad texted me not after the Kentucky game, a big win, which we'll talk about, but. Uh, he he texted me immediately after the Hunter Dickinson play and was just like complaining. I was just like, that says a lot. That just says a lot. You know, you know, you don't you can't enjoy anything, but your joy and your hate are just as equal motivators, I feel like. But I just wanted to give TCU credit really quickly, though, here. Um, they played well. You know, you're you're right, KU. It's not KU just like was down the whole game and just kind of was given the game and came. They led for 90% of the game and it was tied with a minute six to go. And they had, they had some guys to execute, you know, Micah PV had an awesome back cut. I thought on a game that was a guy that I thought would always be a little bit better. I enjoy watching him play. I like Micah PV for me. YBL. I loved him, but the, I, you know, we talked about the name game really quickly here. Jameer, Jameer Nelson, Jr. Played great. Charles O'Bannon Jr. Played great. Definitely feeling old from that. But, um, that, you know, it was uh, Jimmy Dixon ran some great stuff. He had a gorgeous baseline out of bounds to create that three for Tennyson. Just wanted to give them some credit here. I, in the in the you know this, the headline is people complaining about Kansas, but TCU good team eleven and three. Um, I I, th I think they're going to be good. Yeah, shout out to me uh, for trying to figure out the fact that uh, Kansas does not play at TCU this year, so there will be no redemption. Oh, they don't. They do not. <laughs> okay. so there will be there will be no redemption uh, for TCU. So maybe I understand their outrage. Never mind. Take everything I said uh, earlier back. I am on TCU side. They should be up in arms about this. But the good news is they have Oklahoma coming to TCU, and they have Houston coming on uh, Saturday the thirteenth. So if Houston's undefeated. 
on uh, next Saturday, then, you know, TCU is an opportunity to do something, um, you know, to, to, to get people back in and believe in this team. I like the CTU, TCU team and shout out to Jamie Dixon. Uh, he's a really good basketball coach. We both know that um, Kentucky survives. And there's a clip that goes around of John Calipari saying to his team, this is the best that they can play. They can't play any better. Um, we've weathered the storm. Let's go win this basketball game. And uh, I thought that was just a vintage you know, Calipari moment that got circulated. We love to see that. We even saw Ty Ty Washington was like, he said that exact same thing to us uh, years ago. So I, I like that he went back to the well. We love to see that. Uh, Reed Shepard was incredible late in this game. Uh, cool as a cucumber. Um, every single time he's getting pressure, goes to the foul line, makes his free throws. And then he committed the dumbest foul I've ever seen on what could have been a four-point play to tie the game. Um, a very freshman moment in college basketball. But what were your thoughts on the Wildcats? And like, did you believe the entire time they were to come back and win this game because uh, I, I wasn't quite there and I wasn't quite as confident as Coach Cal was. First half, um, you know, the, I was surprised, you know, Todd Golden played, he gambled a little bit, did, did the kind of the school Brad Stevens thing where he left uh, Riley Kugel in the game with three fouls in the first half, which just yeah. like, I'm not going to lose these minutes. I really need these minutes. What am I going to do? Punt them in the sun? No, I'm not going to do that. So, but they were, um, you know, they were hitting shots. They were playing well. You know, the, the whole Cal has his pull string phrases that he's going to say over and over again. And, I, and people kept pointing to that like, well, you know, Florida play. It's I'm, Did they hear it in the arena? Are we just talking purely the basketball gods or what, what are we talking here? I don't know. It, it is, it's funny. I, I grant everybody that. But um, down the stretch, they just got it was a huge DJ Wagner game. I thought that that was great. Yeah. I, I think for Kentucky, they're still figuring out. I was talking about this on Twitter a little bit that like they're figuring out this balance between having DJ attack as the primary thing when they come to like the first action. Um, all year, it's kind of been like a Reed or DJ thing. I think it's Reed and DJ. I think DJ's at his best when you kind of slingshot him off. You know, the second action, have Reed bring it up and kind of get it where it needs to go. You also got Trey Mitchell's a great passer. But DJ was great getting in. Granted, Florida, great offensive rebounding team, not a great shot blocking team. Just from my eye test in this game, I don't know what the stats say on that. Um, but he played great. Uh, the other thing is just, you know, Aaron Bradshaw hit a couple huge. They had a designed out of bounds play where he hit a shot. Um, you know, big game from the veterans. Trey, thank, thank you, Bob Huggins, for for uh, having that trash can or that trash bag full of beers yet again. I just wanted to thank you, drive you to the floors for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a good win for for them. Uh, this team, you could tell, and I'm kind of like monologuing here a little bit, but like I, you could tell that Cal after Bradshaw hit that three, he had this look on his face of like Tubby Smith used to do this. I, I love it, like when coaches want to be. They're not being fans, you know, they're not, they will pump their fists here and there, but Cal had this look on his face of like repressed jubilation. And you could tell that it wasn't so much because of the shot, but it was because this was a big, it was big for these freshmen to do that, to respond that way on the yeah. road. And I, I think it's important for, if you want to have the medal to kind of go far in March, this is the kind of, this is the kind of game. If you're not playing great, you find a way to win. And, uh, and they did, it was, it was a good win for them. Yeah, Antonio Reeves also wanted to shout out Kyle's guy because he loves Antonio Reeves. He was great in this game, 19 points. Or I shouldn't say great, but he was the leading scorer and made things happen. So you love to see that. Bradshaw was great in the second half. Like you said, big three there. Uh, I really did not like Kentucky wearing white at Florida. Um, it just threw me off. Uh, I, I don't I don't know why. Just the, the white uniforms on Billy Donovan court just confused me in my brain. And they also kind of have the same color blue. So there was just this weird, the entire, and then Todd Golden, uh, the whole staff had on white. So then it was just like the whole game. I, I was just like thrown the entire time. 
What were those threes that Todd Golden had on? Were those like Florida PE? Were those like Florida PE Jordan threes? I, I think. I yeah, the, I think their team. Yeah, I think they're they're because Florida's Jordan School Gatorade. Yeah. Shout out to Gatorade. So I, yeah, I, I think they are like Florida specific threes. That's what it looks like. Those are pretty sick. I gotta admit, I enjoy when they do something special on the tongue. Maybe you put the little gator on the tongue next time around. Just a mm. suggestion, Jordan. I, I'm not telling you guys how to do your job, but uh, yeah, those were sweet. Anyway, uh, it was it was a good win for them. The Reed Shepard thing. He di- he didn't ultimately foul him. I know people made that point, but that's not the point. It was like, you know, um, and they're and they're obviously not going to go back and review and change that. But I I just think. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it was it was a weird. I think somebody should probably put like uh, I don't know if it should be like uh, the the Harlem Globetrotters song. He it, Reed definitely had like the Bob Cousy thing going around going on dribbling. <laughs> yeah, the just, yeah, it was incredible. It was like yeah, it was the Cousy version of Kyrie Irving at Team USA camp where he's just like literally just like every single time you're like oh he's gonna get fouled right now he just like somehow gets out of it. It's like look like like a Pistol Pete Bob Cousy matchup uh, <laughs> mashup between the two things and. Uh, He's incredible. And I do think with Reed Shepard, it's nice when you have a guy that you can give the basketball to and know it's like nothing bad's going to happen. He's not going to have some silly turnover. And I like your your point about him initiating things and then letting like Wagner and Dillingham, these guys kind of play off the initial action um, with the secondary attack. So I, I think Kentucky's a really good basketball team. I think this is a year where Calipari has a team that could actually go the distance and win the national championship. And I didn't think I was going to say that at the start of the year. So I, I fully have bought in. And this was a type of game that made me fully buy in. And uh, just from the Florida side, shout out to Walter Clayton. I think that oh, yeah. he's a really good player. Um, I don't know what he is on draft boards, but maybe put him on one because uh, he's only 20 years old and I really like his game. So I uh, just wanted to shout that out. Speaking of Blue Bloods, last Blue Blood I want to hit, North Carolina played at Clemson. Um, it was a game that was packed. Uh, Clemson fans were going crazy. Um, this is a great arena that they play at, uh, Little John, and uh, people were uh, fired up for this game, to say the least. You had the matchup, P.J. Hall taking on uh, Armando Baycott. Baycott played his best game against P.J. Hall in their back and forth. P.J. Hall went off against Baycott last year. Um, R.J. Davis was great in this game, but defensively, this North Carolina team, that is the difference. If you look at Kim Palm, they've just slowly started to move up the ranks since the Oklahoma game on Kim Palm, and now they have a top 20 offense, a top 20 defense. That is the recipe for a team that can go far in the NCAA tournament based on the numbers throughout the years. We call it the Kim Palm test. Carolina passes it right now. And uh, I really just think this team has a different level of connectivity. And even when Harrison Ingram, uh, his wrist is obviously something's going on with his wrist. The guy can't even make a layup right now. But when you have him still leading when he's not playing well, um, that kind of speaks volumes to this team and kind of who they are. And Cadeau, as he becomes more and more of a scorer and, and willing to score, he took some shots in this game that did not go in and they were bricks. But I like the confidence that he took the shots, keeping the defense honest. I, I think this team is really, really good. Um, I dare say the best team in the ACC. I know Duke fans will get up in arms about that, but I watched them play against Notre Dame. I watched Carolina play against Clemson. Uh, I watched Miami and Wake Forest play. I think Carolina is the best team in the ACC right now. Um, that could change on Wednesday night when they play NC State. NC State also uh, 3-0 and in the ACC. This will be the first time that North Carolina plays NC State when both teams are 3-0 and in the ACC since 1974, the year that NC State went on to win the national championship. Um, so that both Bodes well for NC State fans. They're happy about that, that we're getting 1974 references. Shout out to John Wooden. I know he's, <laughs> you know, he, he probably still thinks about that, even though he's, uh, God rest his soul, has moved on. So um, it's going to be a fun game between State and North Carolina. But uh, in general, North Carolina in that game against Clemson, I think they really proved the point winning at Pittsburgh and winning at Clemson on the road because this is a team that has always been called soft. 
Um, ever since I've been a kid, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, but Carolina's soft. So um, it's nice to see, you know, these guys respond and play some tough, gritty basketball because grit has never been a word that has been uh, synonymous with North Carolina basketball. Maybe at times, you know, uh, Joel Berry, and, you know, they called him a tough little nut. Uh, Marcus Page, one of those guys and Marcus Page on staff right now. So maybe that helps out. But it's a really tough team and a fun team. And it's fun to watch a team play Carolina basketball. And, uh, you know, I had missed it. I missed it last year. So it feels good, Kyle, man. I don't know. How, I don't know if you have any thoughts on the Tar Heels, but they look like a legit team. Yeah, I don't think it's controversial to say that they're the best team in the ACC. I'm curious to see them in them, them in Miami match up specifically stylistically. Yeah. I was curious to ask you if just like, you know, quickly here, just like uh, the flow of where their offense is running through. I know Ingram has kind of emerged. You think Baycott is just kind of settling into what do you think about his role with the team right now? Is it where it needs to be? Has it trained? To, it, your your vibes have improved. I'm, I'm trying to track exactly where that has happened in terms of how this team is playing. We talked about R.J. Davis last week. Is it a case of like Baycott is just settling into a role where, you know, we expect him to be this All-American, everything runs through him? Is he in more of a role that kind of just better suits him and that's why you're feeling better overall? I just think we don't need to start every possession where it's like, let's get Armando the ball on the block. And I felt like that was a force fed idea because he's our all American big. And now it's primarily let's get a good shot. And then Armando on the offensive boards is just as much uh, of offense as anything else. You know what I mean? And then it gives a Cadeau an RJ Davis, a Cormac Ryan, a Seth Trimble, any guy going to the basket. It's like, well, I put up a shot. It may not go in, but that's even good news for Armando because he's going to be right there on the offensive glass and he's going to make a play for us. So um, being a garbage man on the glass, I think, is the best thing to happen for Baycott. And the reality is when he plays that way and he is active on the glass, especially on the offensive glass, he's going to get rebounds. He's going to get points by proxy and he's going to get double doubles. And right now he's got 75 double doubles. The record is Tim Duncan with 89 double doubles. He probably wants to break that record. Similar players, really. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, very similar players. Um, obviously you have the five years versus four years conversation with that. But, uh, in reality, if he wants to get his numbers, the way to get his numbers is to let RJ be the number one guy as far as scoring and getting his shot. And RJ has been a menace. I mean, he really, if he can create enough space, he's a small guy, but he creates enough space and he gets a shot off quickly. He got blocked once in this game. Um, Clemson's a long team. Uh, they were giving him some problems in the first half, but uh, you know, in the second half, he bounces back and he's like, "I'll just step back a little bit farther and I'll hit the shot." You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> which the, is the Steph strategy, yeah, yeah, yeah right. He's like, "I'll Chase just go back here." Yeah, right. And I and I'll see you guys later. So um, I think RJ is the primary scorer. I think that's just we we figure that out. And I think Armando being able to get his numbers, you know, on the boards, on the offensive end, and being able to get easy baskets is a big win for everybody. And they they ran some nice action. Uh, even he and RJ, you know, he was passing. Um, he was facing the double team. He was being proactive when the double team comes. Sometimes he's head down and just accepts it, and it turns into a turnover. I think he's been better about that. And uh, this is the best he's looked all year in this game, um, in my personal opinion. So, uh, and that comes back to being tough and and you know being active. <laughs> that's really yeah. that's really as simple as it is. I, I think he, we know he has the talent to do it, but it's it's just going out there and doing it. So he well, did it against Clemson. Talking about bench points, fourteen of them for for uh, for uh, UNC in this game, and only two for for Clemson. But you know, and you get passing out of your big guys, like you said, Harrison Ingram and Baycott, both with three assists. There's there's a thing that happens, I think, with perimeter guys sometimes, especially when they're first year. And I've observed this a lot with Kentucky, is that like uh, you know, because 
even before the transfer portal, it was a year by year, like new personnel, getting that perimeter synergy, getting that flow. Who's the person who's the most efficient? Where should it start? Where should it end? Those things, they need to shake out. It usually takes till January and February. And there's enough, you know, you, you talked about how RJ is sort of asserting himself and it's in a way that's not like ram your head against the wall. I can't watch this anymore. It's Granted, not Caleb it's, Love asserting himself last year, right? It's I wasn't going to say it, but yeah, that's who <laughs> well, I was it's thinking okay. of. <laughs> now that Caleb's doing great. You know what I mean? Caleb's dunking on people. He's having a great time. So it's it's a very win-win scenario. So I, I think we can all agree. But that but also, like, nobody wanted to step up last year, right? So yeah. Caleb's like, let me put on my superhero cape. That's the Marcus Smart this. dilemma thing, right? It's <laughs> right. just like, I got this. You know, if you're in the situation where somebody has to say, wait, guys, I got this. I think that's, like, what his statue and what Caleb loves. If they ever got statues, God forbid. Uh, no, but... <laughs> Uh, you know, he didn't shoot super well in this game at 38.5% from the field. But I think what you're talking about is you have enough like second side talent on this team with with Cormac Ryan, with, with Cadeau. If you start to get those things into like into synergy, like into where they're flowing together, you got to get this closed loop in your offense rather than dead ends like you might get with Baycott or, you know, talking about the way it was last year. I think that's probably why they're looking so much better. It's just more satisfying to watch. So. Happy for you, man. How happy for you. It's curious to see some of these matchups coming up in the ACC, though. Yeah, it's going to be fun. State Carolina on Wednesday will be fun. I, I do want to shout out Chase Hunter uh, and Ian Shefflin for Clemson. They were the, really the stars of this game. Going into it, everyone's talking about Joe Girard and P.J. Hall, but Hunter had 17 in this one. Shefflin had 16 and 11, and he was killing Harrison Ingram. I mean, that matchup, that that is also a concern for Carolina, just the size, because Ingram was playing as a small ball four. When you go against a team that has two actual bigs there at the four and five, you can see why uh, you're called a small ball four, because Ian Shefflin absolutely dominated him. Um, um, on the glass. So that was uh, that was another, you know, maybe a little bit of an alarm deep down when you think about this Carolina <laughs> team. So Jalen Washington has got to step up at some point. Can we shout, shout, out, shout out the hot mics in the Clemson arena? That was like making me <laughs> laugh out loud. There was yeah. a, there was a one point where it's one of the students yelled. I don't know if they, they were yelling at one of the transfers. I don't know if it was Ryan or 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 if it was Withers, but because uh, Withers only got 11 minutes in this game. They were shouting something about like you could cut it somewhere else. And that's why you're, you're a failure. You're here. It was just like, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I don't know. Shout out to hot mics <laughs> on college basketball broadcasts. I feel like the O'Connell Center has gotten that one before, but um Maryland's famous for that, obviously, back in the glory, the Gary Williams days. But I enjoy when when they when they have it a little too hot and it backfires. It's entertaining to me. Yeah, it was good stuff. And uh, the Clipson fans came there and they were fired up. So uh, it was a lot of good ACC basketball fandom. The Wake Forest fans are going crazy. The Clemson fans are going crazy. So uh, the Notre Dame fans are going crazy, uh, even though there were a lot of Duke fans in the crowd uh, in South Bend. There were still a lot of Notre Dame people that gave me hope for Shrewsbury. Um, and what they got going on. So we checked the box. We talked about the Blue Bloods. Let's talk about the net rankings. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.
Um, just looking at it right now, Houston is actually number one in the net. So as much as we uh, begrudge the net, the net does know that the team that's 14-0 and um, and has not lost the game is the A number one team in the victory for math and mathematics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big Finally. win for the net. So we love to see that. Um, I just have to ask you about a team that's sitting there at number six, which is fascinating. Alabama. Alabama on the season is nine and five. Uh, Jerry Stackhouse's Vanderbilt team gave them a tough time this weekend. I watched some of that game. Shout out to Coach Stackhouse. Thought he coached a great game. Um, what are our thoughts on Alabama and how are the numbers so in love with Alabama? Like what kind of, uh, I know that he used to be a math teacher, Nate Oates. Um, he used to be a math teacher. And there's a lot of people that think there's some sort of conspiracy where he knows the formulas and he is he is trying to manipulate the numbers. Is there any is there any credence to the idea that he could manipulate the numbers is my question to you. I think you could look at him, look at the blazers, look at like the way his shirts are sort of ironed and things and steamed. And I, I think you can impress like I that's that doesn't surprise me. I hadn't heard the thing about the math teacher like that. Yeah, that really that adds up to me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you were crying conspiracy. Uh, it is interesting. I mean, Alabama fourth and Torvik, they're fourth in like basically every you know, every site. It, it is interesting um, considering, you know, their resume. I, it doesn't totally. I don't know. Are they the fourth best team in the country? That seems a little high. The resume seems a little inflated there. Yeah, it doesn't make much sense to me. I don't know how they're doing it. But then when I look at the net rankings, I mean, Auburn is a team like when I watch Auburn, Auburn passes my eye test more than Alabama. Yeah, (laughs) Auburn's a really good team and Auburn's at number eight and they're also 12 and two. And uh, as I watch Auburn, I would say to myself, just based on the eye test, not on the, the formulas that we have at all these different sites, but the eye test tells me Auburn's a better basketball team. But that's not what the net says. The net also says that Michigan State is uh, 28th in the net. Michigan State, 9-6 and six on the year, just lost to Northwestern. Um, I think Northwestern's a pretty good basketball team. But Michigan State, uh, let's talk about Tom Izzo after we talk about their their net ranking. Yeah. Um, what, what are our thoughts on the net loving Michigan State? Is this going to get them in the tournament, even if the eye test says they don't pass the resume? Oh, man. Yeah, I, I'm not totally understanding that. If you consider, yeah, if you consider the resumes, uh, we were talking about, you know, Seton Hall earlier, how they yeah. they've beaten some good teams. It's just it's weird how you get penalized. Like we're you know Alabama going back to them sixth in the in, in the net, and they're zero and five in quad one matchups with three and zero and in two and quad two matchups. So how about Miami's number forty? Miami at eleven and three is number forty in the net, and they look like a much better basketball team uh, outside of one game that we all watched in Barclays, which is a place they usually play well. But I mean, I see Miami at number forty. And I say to myself, what? Wait, what? What's going on with the net? It's it's all over the place. Yeah, the, the Michigan State thing, I did watch that game. Um, I was I wanted to comment on that really quickly. Oh, do we want to do Izzo now? You want to move on to do that? Or let's, you want to just let, 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 talk about that game? Because, I mean, Northwestern, I mean, Boo Booey is getting a lot of people upset because he's he is gaming the game, right? He's like running into guards and getting fouls drawn and things like that. And he was doing it against Michigan State. And people were like, I'm so tired of this guy. Get this guy out of the Big Ten, yada, yada, yada. But it, Northwestern has like a little bit of that old Duke, like it, we're going to game the game and we're going to win the game. And, and it seemed like Izzo and Michigan State, they were very um, up in arms. And even you you and I were texting about that that first half sequence where it was a game. Then all of a sudden it was just ultimate chaos. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't blame Michigan State. It is annoying. There was a dude in our <laughs> intramural league. I don't, I'm trying to remember the dude's name. He was notoriously annoying because he, he would game. Yeah, in intramurals, would game. <laughs> yeah, would game for fouls. He knows who he is. Uh, no, um, 
looking, you know, Michigan State to counter with that complaining, they they did their part to to play mm-hmm. well, <laughs> to play poorly. And you know, Tom Izzo has a reason to be annoying, uh, to be annoyed with his team and call them out. I mean, th- their defensive communication, I just want to say, really bad throughout this game. Like it was really it was bad, really really tough. But to end the first half, Tyson Walker turnover, Tyson Walker missed two, Jay Nackins offensive rebound, Tyson Walker got fouled. Uh, let's see. Carr gets fouled and misses both free throws. Hoggard turnover, Hoggard miss shot, miss shot, turnover, 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 miss three, uh, miss three, miss. So, I mean, it was just turnovers, miss shots to end the first half, basically. They imploded and they never recovered. So, you get the mental toughness thing there. You know, you're going to play, it's going to be tough. Um, they just, uh, they didn't look good, man. And, and I guess the, the real Cohen Carr, I guess Cohen Carr also, I just want to say, even his missed dunks. Are incredible. He had a play where he just like <laughs> right. one step jumped. He's a highlight over. machine. Like the, the best thing that he's got going is he's like his own like uh, overtime highlight machine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, it was at the eight thirty one mark. They were up two, and then they just fell apart. But overall, um, Sissoko turned it over, which he is prone to do. But uh, you know, overall, Michigan State's losses: James Madison, Duke, Arizona. Uh, you know, lost to Wisconsin, Nebraska, Northwestern. So it's a team, it's, you know, we've seen a lot of Izzo teams kind of lie around in the weeds, but, and we all kind of collectively roll our eyes and we're just like, we know what's, how this is going to go. They're going to beat a one seed and, you know, the sweet 16 or whatever it is. Um, Izzo's not happy. I think we got one of those classic. I feel like this is just kind of going around. He goes after analytics. <laughs> I don't know if that's a response to, to, to like boo booey gaming. Like, I don't feel like those things are connected, but he seems to have a, he, I guess what it comes down to is I, I was trying to like read sort of the subtext and what he was saying, because it seemed like it wasn't necessarily analytics, although he did kind of express his opinion there. I, it, it felt like it was just more, he didn't want to talk about the stats because he feels like the character of his team is screwed. And and he was very grumpy about it. So I don't know. There's people saying the games passed him by. I was yeah. trying not to read too much into that, but I don't know. What do you think about it? If you haven't seen the Izzo clip, uh, it is honestly just, it feels like a coach broken, you know what I mean? Where he just completely unloads his unfiltered thoughts on everything that's happening in basketball, which all these coaches say to each other off, you know, camera and off mic. They all say, I hate analytics. I hate these nerds telling me who's supposed to be playing. (laughs) This is what they say to each other. I mean, it's just reality. Um, Unless you're, you know, Todd Golden or, you know, some of these younger guys that are really into it, right? I mean, for the most part of a certain ilk, that's how they feel about it. Because they're saying to themselves, I already know this and you're just giving me a surplus of information to act like you know something that I already know. So now yeah. you're just pissing me off. Um, <laughs> that's really how they look at it, you know. Um, and, and instead of watching the basketball, you're, you're watching, you know, the numbers and you're saying this and that and this and that. That's what they're upset about. But he... He just went full throttle and he kind of said like the the quiet thing out loud. And I think a lot of people um, were not prepared for him to say that. And then obviously everybody has to clutch their pearls and say, did he just say what I think he said about analytics? What is he on? What is wrong with him? This horrible man, this bad man. And then he, you know, ends it by, you know, talking about how he's going to bring out like the football pads and he might get fired. He's like, I've been waiting to get fired. for I get sued. He said, I'll I'll get get sued. sued. (laughs) Yeah, I'll get sued. Right. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you can't talk bad about the players anymore. That, was, that killed me. Nothing can go on the players. 
He's like he bad was coaching. So mad. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he literally. I mean, he he doesn't call him out, but then he does call him out. He's like, you can't blame the players. It's never the players' fault. Bad coaching. Bad coaching. Um, and then he's like looking down. And he's like looking at Malik Hall's stats. Malik Hall just has a straight. He lays a flat egg, straight zeros across the board. And he's like, he's like, I got a guy who's got zero points, zero rebounds. And I do think maybe this started where like a guy after the last game came to him and was like, you know, the 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 Malik Hall's like advanced numbers are insane and started giving him all these advanced numbers about Malik Hall and Izzo's like cool thanks like whatever like we don't need to get in his head about how great he's playing let's leave it there and then he has this absolute dud of a game and then it, it's like some something personal happened in, that tied those two things together where he yeah. went on this tangent in my personal opinion and I'm reading way too into it You're but when I right. wa- but when I watched this clip I feel like that's where it, it kind of stemmed from and Izzo's Izzo. Izzo's always going to be Izzo. Uh, right now, he's kind of like the old man at the party, and he's like, shut it down. I, I'm over this. It's a, it's past my bedtime. Let's go to sleep. And everybody wants to keep playing house music, and they want to keep going. And, and Tom Izzo's like, shut up. Leave me alone. I need my sleep. I need my eight hours. And uh, hopefully he doesn't get sued. Hopefully when he brings the football pads out, it'll be for, for a good reason. And, uh, it'll help this team turn it around. But I saw earlier in the week, a lot of people are doing victory laps. Like don't ever count out Izzo. Don't ever count on Izzo. And, uh, so I'm, I'm sure we're three weeks away from that happening again when they go on a run and win some games. So I'm not completely in panic, in panic mode, but I do think that, um, the response of everyone to what he said was pretty comical. And uh, I think it was just the man broken at, at a moment where he's like, we we got blown out by Northwestern and, and I don't know what to do with myself. I just watched Ryan Langborg uh, dominate me. Um, shout out to Ryan Langborg, a uh, former uh, Prince and Tiger who beat my Arizona Wildcats last year in the tournament. Um, still haunts me to this day, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I think the Izzo thing is a little bit overblown, but it also um, is a, is a thing that is said behind closed doors more than people think. And I think that's why people were so aghast at the idea that he would say these things about analytics because coaches are like, I like information, but don't overwhelm me, especially if you don't know anything. And uh, that's how they operate. So people are just so absolute about it and black and white about it. It's like, you know, the analytics say this, so we always follow it. No, the analytics just give, they provide context and they should inform (laughs) or give you clues to maybe give you ideas. It doesn't mean it's some Bible that you follow like line for line and make your decisions based on it because some stats are noisy. Do I have to explain this? Like, it's just like, if you see see Monty, Monty Williams had in you know, Lord, that's not aging well. Uh, him, he had the little thing just ranting about analytics. It's just like somebody needs to like. There should be analytics PR training. I feel like it's yeah. just yeah. And, it's, and it's, they don't they don't hate the numbers. They hate the messengers. Let's just oh, be honest yes. about it. You know oh, what I yes. mean? Like that, you didn't that's play. I don't want to hear it. That's what it comes down to. It's not about the numbers themselves because every coach is a maniac and they want as much information as possible and they just, you know, gobble it up. You know what I mean? Dean Smith was like a guy. He was like, I need to know, you know, how many times this guy drives left. I mean, these are like, you know, the the prehistorian analytics that you would call it. You know what I mean? But that's just what they want all the information possible. So they do want the information. They just don't like who's giving them the information. And obviously, whoever's giving Tom Izzo the analytical information at Michigan State, he wants to bite his head off and he wants to put him in football pads that's, and he wants to tackle him. That's what he meant. Yeah, the football <laughs> pads. He meant, yeah, that was read between the lines. It's follow the information there. He wants the data person to wear the pads. No, you're right about it. Like, it's not a new thing. Like, I've had, right. I, I, I've had a 90s era uh, 
Patino player tell me that Patino tracked that stuff by hand. Like he yes. made the assistants track that, like right. the, those types of plays, you know, and that kind of data and, and add it up. So it's not new. It's uh, it's just more organized and formal now. I don't know. I always get amazed when people accuse me of being a stats person because I'm just like, I, what I explained, like using it as context, I know we're on an analytics thing now. I'm sorry, but like, uh, anyway. But we're kind of arguing for Tom Izzo's frustration. You know what I mean? Like, I, I understand what he's saying in the sense that like he's mad about we're just saying he's 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 mad about something else but it's right, easier right. to say quote unquote big analytics the capital a is the problem and uh let's take out the capital analytics team and uh i think the people think that you're an analytics guy cuz you have your glasses on and you look so smart that's what they that's the uh, problem like when when you're when <laughs> when someone thinks you're smart you know what i mean they they immediately that's why it's better like you get judged. dumb you know what i mean like you you'd much rather be thought of as dumb like seth rogan he's like you know it was famous in curb you know he's like so you're a smart guy that plays a dumb every man <laughs> he's like you're a nice guy who plays an asshole you know what i mean that's <laughs> that's the world we live in uh yeah, maybe maybe you're yeah, right maybe you're yeah right. that's what happens but uh shout out to tom Izzo. Um, it was hilarious. Uh, speaking of Michigan basketball, uh, Michigan State, now let's talk about Michigan. We had a very interesting situation where Jawan Howard, who is the head now back to being the acting head coach of Michigan, but they played at the Palestra, and he said uh, in honor of Martelli going back to the Palestra, the Palestra obviously um, an iconic venue for basketball, he is going to let him be the head coach for this game when they played Penn State. And it led to a very awkward situation where Jawan Howard was there at the game, but he was not the head coach. Uh, Phil Martelli was the head coach and they played Mike Rhodes and they played Ace Baldwin. Shout out to the VCU Rams of last year. Now they're all at Penn State together, but they played great in this game. They get the win, but Michigan was up 10 points at halftime. I thought Michigan was on their way to a nice little win. And I was about to say, wow, maybe Phil Martelli should just be the head coach for the rest of the year. Um, what were your thoughts when you saw this headline? Have we ever seen anything like this? This was the strangest like sequence of, of media events I've ever seen. But uh, that's the, all the backstory I have for you, folks. Uh, Bill Martelli was the head coach for one game because it was at the Palestra. Yeah, you're right about like in the first half. Yeah, I mean, they got up 13 and you were just like, all right, well, they're going to extend this. But it's right. kind of reminded me of uh, this game and the Michigan State game kind of reminded me of that LeBron James tweet where he was talking about how you finish quarters that that like is a sneaky underrated way uh thing about games to pay attention to and it's kind of can be the difference between winning and losing because teams kind of can let their guard down and you you do it right. a lot happens uh that can affect the game more than you would even think but it just kind of like frittered away until you know <laughs> about i don't know three-fourths of the uh, way through the game penn state comes back and takes the lead but on, on the coaching thing I don't know. It's the kind of thing that you see in the summer when there's like no stakes where the coach steps <laughs> right. aside and is like, you know, I'm going to let this guy, you know, I'm going to go do something else or I'm going to focus. I don't know. It's it's a weird it's a weird thing. It made me it, it has like a resigned. I'm not not I mean, resigned as in, you know, the, the not not in terms of like resignation, like literally quit your job. I'm just saying it has sort of a like what's the word? Juwan, I mean, do you, what do you think Juwan's <laughs> willpower to keep this job is at this point? I guess that's I, one it I'm must it must be lower than I imagine. Um, he he must be frustrated just as much as I think the administration and the fan base is frustrated for him to do something like this. And I know that it comes from a place of I want to give Martelli his moment, his flowers. I want to drive Phil Martelli to the florist is what Juwan Howard <laughs> said before this game. Um, but, but the I, context is weird. You it's know, so it's like strange. if you hadn't been struggling like this, I'd understand. But it just seems like a weird. 
time to choose to do it. Cause you know, it's like, I don't know. It's like asking for a raise when the company's going out of business. Right. I don't know. It's like, yeah, consider the con read the room, you know, maybe now's not the time to do it. And that's why it just feels so odd to me. My, my conspiracy brain says that he's just trying to make sure that his wins loss record is better. So he's, he's going to try to put this game on Martelli. Like he knew that they were going to lose. Yeah. He knew that they were going to lose this game. So he's like, I need this on Martelli's record, not on my record. I need my record to be as impeccable as possible. Um, Maybe that's what he does the rest of the year. And that's how we know if he thinks Michigan's going to win. He looks at the Vegas, like what the line is. And he says, I will be the acting head coach of this game if they're favored. If they're not favored, Martelli, you step in. Maybe you get us an upset said um I, I i guess two coaches is better than one um or maybe it's like the quarterback theory where two quarterbacks means you don't have a quarterback i don't know what's going on at michigan but um that was fascinating and uh let's just start doing some shout outs because there's a lot that happened in college basketball i want to shout out this graphic that i saw of Bronny james uh it was labeled troy trifecta um it had boogie ellis it labels you know him having 18.5 points per game uh shooting 46 percent from the field 44 percent from three-point land three and a half assists isaiah collier 14.9 points per game, shooting 50% from the field, 4.4 assists. And then the the third part of the trifecta is Bronny James. And it literally just lists winner, team player, um, which is, the, this might be the greatest graphic I've ever seen. Um, this had to be clutch approved or clutch made. I don't know what's going on, but this is awesome. Uh, have you ever seen characteristics listed as like, uh, you know, stat points for a graphic? Because that's incredible. On the it, uh, two job kind of parallels in a row here, but it reminds me when I used to apply for jobs out of college and you didn't have any accomplishments. You just right. had, you didn't have any experience. No experience. Just, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I specifically remember I interviewed for a job at like Home Depot, which there's that's a huge laugh track moment in and of itself. But my my dad would laugh his ass off at that. But I remember talking with the guy and he was like looking at my resume and he was like, "So, uh, what's your wh- why? How? How is this gonna? Why would we help you do this?" And I and I just had some rehearsed bullshit to say that's what it kind of reminds me of it's just like well i'm a hard worker no track record but i you know it's 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 hilarious but y- you know kyle pointed out the spectrum thing spectrum lakers clutch yeah think, you know follow read follow the data read the signs right there's some connective tissue there, but I, I just find it awesome. Um, and also we got LeBron James after a Lakers game when he was being asked about Ricky Rubio's retirement. Um, in between that, he was basically like, Bronny could play on this team now easily. Easy is what he said. He doubled up like uh, it, it would be so easy for Bronny to be on this team right now and that he would actually help us win. Um, he's doing incredible dad campaigning. I, I've never seen anything like it. You know, there's a lot of helicopter dads in in Little League sports. We, we see it. We live with it. Um, you know, my dad was my head coach growing up, so he had to deal with a lot of these parents and, and you know, that's never fun. But LeBron has taken it to a whole nother level where he has the media in Los Angeles <laughs> campaigning for Bronny to be on the Los Angeles Lakers. And um, I can't even be mad because I respect it so much. Uh, speaking of the LA media, we have an LA Times article that also came out this weekend. It was a column from Bill Plaschke. Shout out to Bill Plaschke um, on Around the Horn, famously. Uh, Pretty sure he's, he's from Louisville, weirdly enough. I think Bill Plaschke, yeah. Anyway, Oh, that's sorry. cool. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I think he's still on Around the Horn, too, sometimes. So shout yeah. out to him. Uh, but here is the, the headline of this. And this is a, a nice headline of the year nominee. Column, colon, this Disappearing Mick Cronin melts down during another UCLA debacle. Um, love the alliteration there. Also, uh, the Bruins lost to California 66 to 57. Shout out to Cal. Shout out to Mark Madsen. Big win. Um, UCLA has lost a lot of games at home. 
Uh, the Pauly Pavilion crowd, by my sources, is not happy with the situation. We had some booze. Mick Cronin was tossed from this game. Uh, also threw his jacket. So um, I don't really know what to make of the situation. We've talked about it a little bit, but uh, Mick Cronin, I'm worried. I'm, a, I'm officially worried about his standing here with the uh, UCLA basketball old heads because the old heads they still think this is John Wooden's program and, and they don't play that. So I, I think that there's going to be a moment coming up in the next couple of months where we have some major issues with Mick Cronin and this team and uh, and the future of UCLA. So uh, Bill Plaschke, he just started the war right there because now Mick Cronin, he's going to be going after the media. There, you thought he was mean before. He's going to be really mean now. Yeah, they're starting to em- empty the notebook, right? Like that's that's all, never a good sign. He is, Plasky is from Louisville, by the way. Wow, like yeah, shout out to Ballard. Interesting. Sorry, uh, but yeah, <laughs> it feels like we're doing a just a weekly has has Mick Cronin's <laughs> head exploded kind of a thing. I just feel like every week there's like a pump, and you know he just is mm-hmm. getting bigger, like one of those like Mario Party games, yeah. and it's gonna you know at some point the the balloon's gonna pop. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't really. It can't be good for, I know we keep talking about this, but I mean, it can't be good for like, this is a time, you think he'd be on his best behavior. You know, we're talking about guys, I love these guys who can't control their, their emotions. They're so real that like, they just can't, and maybe, maybe it won't end up mattering, but it it is just interesting considering what we expect to be some shakeup in the off season with some jobs that are going to come open. So I don't know. We'll check in on next week to make sure to see if his head has exploded. I don't know. I, I can't wait for UCLA Jay Wright rumors to start. That's going to be fun. I, I'm excited for that, uh, that little, you know, media cycle that we have where Jay Wright comes out on CBS and is like, I'm not interviewing for any jobs. And then everyone's like, he did just fly to LA, even though the regional for CBS will be in LA. You know, there's going to be a lot of that. That probably comes up, but we'll see what happens. If Mick Cronin stays at UCLA or decides to stay, we'll be we'll, we'll all be okay. Uh, let's do qu- quickly a few more shout-outs. Shout-out to Memphis. Uh, Javon Quinterly hits a game-winning three again. We said it on Friday. Um, this is not a rehash of what happened. He literally did it again, and uh, the Jelly Fam has never been better right now. And Quinterly did a great, like, uh, you know, what else do you want from me moment, just standing at the crowd, like, are you not entertained? Um, it was awesome. I mean, I, I'm falling in love with this Memphis team, even though they're not like, you know, blowing me away with how well they're playing. They are winning games, uh, that they have to win and they should win. And that is a a character trait that you have to respect in college basketball. Yeah, he, he definitely, uh, this team 11 and one, seven, Oh, seven and Oh, at one, uh, at home. Um, yeah, they got down 15 in this game and came back, you know, it's a game of runs, but, uh, they, that that definitely was one of those. He definitely had like the uh, the Night King thing, but it also Memphis and Houston both I think are kind of in this like narrative thing. You know, Houston obviously is getting inflated. We'll see if they come down, but Memphis is kind of looking for credit. They they're trying to get Tomlin integrated. Um, it kind of reminds me of the scene in Blood Diamond where the dude <laughs> the dude just like he's like, "What more do you want from me?" And he like, yeah. "Well, he pulls his pants down." I don't think he's going to do that. I don't know if you've seen Blood Diamond, but uh, I, I hope it doesn't come to that. But um, yeah, they're just kind of fighting for respect. I feel like the national narrative isn't totally paying attention to them. Whereas, you know, last couple of years, they've had more of the, they've had guys like prospects that have caught our attention. So we've been monitoring them. I feel like they're a little under the radar this year. So um, that that's that's been fascinating to watch. 
Yeah, and Alabama fans, uh, they've been you know up in arms. They're like, why is Javon Quinterly hitting game-winning shots at Memphis and not at Alabama? So you know that they're looking at their mathematician Nate Oates and they're saying, why is this happening? So there's some uh, there's some good you know drama going on there with the Memphis players as well. So shout out to them. Uh, shout out to Caleb Love. I mentioned him earlier. Had a big thunderous dunk against Utah. That was awesome. Uh, some people said it was from the free throw line. It was definitely a foot inside the free throw line, but it was incredible. And Mikael Center went crazy when it happened. So shout out to him. Another big dunk, Duran. Holmes uh, and Dayton. Dayton is fun. Uh, we haven't talked about Dayton really at all, but they are a fun basketball team. Deron Holmes looks great. Um, Anthony Grant, you know, severely underrated when it comes to coaches that we talk about in the game of college basketball. So wanted to give them a shout out. Wanted to shout out Dabo Sweeney, by the way, uh, had a black eye during the Clemson game. Everyone was memeing this to, to the moon. I don't know what's going on there, but great fodder. We love to see it. College sports, you know, it's the best. Um, Charlotte, shout out to Charlotte. They beat uh, FAU. I mentioned the upset earlier, but I didn't mention Charlotte, so I wanted to give them some love as well. Um, and then lastly, for me, as far as shout out, shout out to Mr. K, um, talking to the Howard basketball team. Um, that is his new team that he is focused on. So all of Howard's success in the future is owed to Mr. K. He's laying the foundation so. and the groundwork. Yeah. So uh, congratulations to him. Oh, yeah, one last shout out. Brady Dunlap of St. John's. Incredible. Um Bill, Bill Simmons. Bill's got. <laughs> yeah, Bill Simmons told me last year in the fall before I even worked uh, for the Ringer, uh, you know, he he came back and uh, we were talking about basketball and high school basketball. I was near Notre Dame High School. There was a lot of talented players that were playing there at the time. And he's like, you got to see this kid at Harvard Westlake, Brady Dunlap. He's incredible. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, uh, he ends up with a Carolina offer, and now I'm watching games, and I'm like, oh, man, this guy's legit. And Rick Pitino gets him to go to St. John's all the way across the country in New York and hit a big three against Villanova. Basically, the game game solidifying three got him to 70 points, and uh, he was great this weekend. So shout-out to Brady Dunlap. And uh, those are all the shout-outs I got. But we got Kyle coming on. Kyle has some headlines that he wanted to bring up for us. There he is. He turned on the TikTok camera. Look at that stud. (laughs) <laughs> What's up, gang? I got a couple shout outs for you. Please. We need them. Okay. This is an update on our um, our women and the, uh, the College of Biblical Studies who uh, <laughs> the headline, the headline was a little misleading, but I guess this is what people like, uh, you know, these big publication companies get paid for. The headline is they just got beat by 141 points. They want a rematch. I really just wanted to read you a couple <laughs> quotes because it's not necessarily true, but kind of. So this is uh, this is from somebody on the board of trustees. Uh, we have zero budget. <laughs> we nice. we have to pray that we put that we can put a team together. We don't have a shoe company that sponsors us. I like to pray. Biblical studies <laughs> connection there. We don't yes. have anything. That's a tough quote to put in the papers. Uh, Dan Wood, the executive director of the NCAA, NCCAA. Okay. Uh, these so basically <laughs> he was explaining that these schools get paid between like fifteen hundred and ten thousand dollars by these other schools who yeah it's I mean a buy game. Yeah. Yes, it's a buy yeah. game. I didn't know about this. I'm sure you guys did, but I was just, I found that interesting. <laughs> and these guys are like, great. Can we buy some new shorts or maybe like a, a pad to put on the fucking pole? Like, of the you basketball. can beat us by 100 points, but we need your money. Yeah, we're going to need at least seven grand. Pay <laughs> up. That's awesome. So, uh, so the, this is the best quote. They're like, coming into this, our board, our executive staff prayed. Like another prayer. Yeah, that we I think want, they literally mean it. I think. <laughs> yeah, they, they do. I don't think they're they being like. <laughs> yes, they no, mean it. Yeah. That we it's want as a school to make our brand awareness increase nationally. In a way, mm. that's what happened. This is what the reporter said, <laughs> which is why when Rose saw the final scorer against Grambling State, one thought popped into his mind: Wow, this is working. <laughs> now people know about the College of Biblical Studies. Maybe next year they beat us by a hundred, but in four years. Maybe we're competitive. 
<laughs> Maybe we I lose by 50. It. I love incredible. it. <laughs> That's, those are great quotes. It's a great outlook. And it's basically like we're getting the last laugh. Like you might get to beat us by 100 and embarrass us right, on this right. day. But who's the real winner? It's the people that are <laughs> cashing the checks and funding a program based on your, you know, idea of dunking on us. Well, the real, the real winner of the shoe company is getting confirmation that they're more powerful than God. I mean, they talk about depending on prayer and then they're like, well, you know, if God doesn't come through for us, maybe the shoe companies will. I just thought <laughs> yes. that was interesting. You know, God works in you mysterious kids. ways to be fair. You know, I know don't come at me about that, but, uh, or do, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, it's, I feel like a movie script is unfolding in front of us maybe yeah. a little bit here. I don't know. Puma should come through. Give him a deal. I just imagine this guy, like, as that 138th point is going in, he's like, yes, it's working. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. More. <laughs> he's like, lay off him. Let him score more. Back up. Yeah. All pub is good, pub. Yeah. Uh, this is this is a good, this is a feel-good one just for sports in general. Uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, as you know, they share the rights to um, March Madness games as well as a lot of other sports and stuff. So they, they had this Bleacher Report uh, version of their streaming service that they were going to be basically start putting games behind paywalls, not dissimilar to the Peacock thing that's going on with NBC. Uh, they uh, uh, A report came out. They share that with with CBS and Paramount. Uh, but they're, you know, one of the three companies putting on the tournament this year. And um, they ju- they've announced that tech plans have pushed it back their plans to charge people and put these games behind a paywall. You're going to have to get max with Warner Bros. Uh, with the bleacher uh, Bleacher Report sh- offshoot in, for like 16 and yeah. yeah and I mean come on this is this would have been you talk about upsetting old guys across America I mean the Peacock's going to be pretty bad but college basketball too I mean that's about as <laughs> that's about as set in your ways as some of those people could be so uh, they're not doing this maybe next year we'll be having a different conversation but it just they just uh, wrote that they're not going to do that this year at least for this tournament that's why I think CW might actually end up winning because, like, they just make it simple. You know what I mean? They're like, you turn on Channel your 11, basic, come on. yeah, right, and you see us. <laughs> you know where we are. CW, you know where we are. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and we got we got the goods now. We got sports. We got live rights. Um, and like people will not go to streamers. Like even people in my family, like you know, my my one of my aunts who's like diehard Carolina went to Carolina. Like you know, she's just like it's just not the same. It's not hitting the same sometimes when I'm watching these games. You know, and I'm like. I'm worried about the old guard. And if we lose the old guard, the new guard doesn't even watch sports. And uh, the middle children, uh, like us, who are, who are in the middle of it, that love Trying to it, hold it I mean? all together with yeah. both. And it's like, God damn, I'm paying more than I was for cable because you got to yeah. keep cable or some form of it. Max is not cheap, by the way. And not this cheap. proposed thing is going to be like an extra $16 a month for some of the games. It's not like, oh, I have cable. I get all the games. It's like, I get these ones. So I don't know. I'm glad, I'm glad that we're not going to have to navigate that through the tournament this year. Yeah. And, uh, so that's some I, good news. So we kick the can to next year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Maybe some of the people who would be super mad will die off in that time and it won't be as bad. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's bleak. But then, but, then, but then we have no uh then we have no people watching. And then and then everyone on Twitter dunks on the ratings of college basketball. And I'm like, where were you when college basketball was outrate outrating the finals? You know what I mean? They won't be there. Yeah. Uh, this one's for uh, Kyle Mann. Uh, this is the headline from Whiskey Riff. There was a, I, I got him from a bunch of places, but this is the one I chose to use. Rick Pitino shares incredible photo of young Chris Stapleton at a UK basketball camp. And this is just a tweet. That's all it is. Uh, Chris Stapleton it shows a picture of a young Chris Stapleton 
not the most favorable picture, but I mean, he's a kid who gives a shit. Chris Stapleton at Kentucky Wildcats basketball camp. Didn't like the way he played defense. Told him to go into music instead. Don't thank me, Chris. It's okay. Tongue in cheek. I'm just glad he's still reaching in that bag. Yeah. Shout out to Rick Patino on Twitter, man. He's just he's just doing doing the no Lord's filter. work for us. Whatever yeah. he's got. He's like, I'm I praying I every day that Rick Patino keeps tweeting. You know what Keep I mean? Praying. Like, it's <laughs> it's, it's going to be heartbreaking if we find out that it's not him. It's kind of the Iron Sheik thing when that kind of, you know, I realized that yeah. the Iron Sheik didn't run his account. I, I really, really pray that he does because uh, he's been he's been epic. He's been awesome. I think the evidence yeah. points to yes. I think it does because maybe if it was St. John's, they might they might have they might not have tweeted some of the things, you know what I mean? Or maybe it's like a, uh, maybe it wouldn't be St. John's, right? It'd be like maybe his publicist if he has one. I'm not sure if he has one of those either, though. So I don't know. I think he just talks and there's a guy following him with the phone that's just tweeting what it's he's like, saying. Oh, you know one. what I mean? Yeah, one. right. Yeah, he's <laughs> like literally that. like, he's like, write this down. Yeah, yeah, tweet that. Yeah, put that out there, you know? And I and I, I don't think he might not, he might not be typing it, but uh, it's happening in his proximity. So shout out to Rick Patino. Yeah, um, I'll keep also, watching. I got one more. Yeah, this one's please. for Tate. I did one for Kyle. This one's for Tate. This comes from Alexa. Uh, you know, Alexa. I think Kyle Mann knows Alexa. She handles a lot of business behind the scenes oh, at yeah, the ringer. Oh, I thought you were talking big, about your Amazon. <laughs> I think about Amazon. I was like, no, yeah, I you, love, got I love lot, you got a, a lot of presets, Kyle. I'm a, I'm a Google guy. Uh, but um, <laughs> this is, uh, she's big college ba- into ba- college basketball. She's actually playing college basketball right now. That's interesting. That's true. It yeah, is very cool. She found some eligibility. Um this is the headline, uh, 1,200 career wins for Stanford uh, women's basketball coach. Uh, Tara, fuck, I lost her last name. But she's the Stanford women's basketball coach. Vandiver? We, yeah. Yes, yep, yeah. that's it. That's it. Kyle, we saw her at the Wooden Ceremony. She's a legend. She was there. Yeah. Well, listen, she got her <laughs> 1,200th win on Sunday, okay? <laughs> she's three wins away from beating Coach K's win, and this is of all yeah. time, okay? She's uh, been a head coach for 42 years. She's 100. She's 11, 42, and 237. That's a 0.828 win percentage. Coach Ooh. K has been a head co- was a head coach for 47 years. 1202 wins, 368 loss. That's a 0.766 win loss percentage. I just wanted to throw that out there for you, as we've got maybe one of the greatest to ever do it still in the game. And uh, all hope is not lost. You know, now that Mr. K's out of here, just wanted to. Yeah, she's not a put quitter. You out there. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's a real one. She's not less years too. Many less years. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about five higher years win percentage. Yeah, I mean, let's just be honest. That's the goat right there. Um, <laughs> yes. Update it every time you talk about the goat of college basketball. You know where it goes through. It goes through the Cardinals. So, uh, yeah, that's great. That's a great stat there, Kyle. And uh, shout out to Alexa for giving us that. We needed that. Um, also, the AP poll just came out. Uh, speaking of Mr. K, um, he's obviously not a part of this program anymore. But Purdue's number one. Houston's now number two, not number three. But for a, a tie for 11th in the AP poll, guys, there's not a 12th team in the AP poll. It's a tie for 11th between Duke and Marquette. Um, they would not put Duke at number 12 behind Marquette. So they made them tie. Yeah, they refused yeah. to do it. So uh, shout out to the AP poll. Um, you know, keeping things interesting. Kentucky, number six. Carolina, number seven. Tennessee, number five. Um, so th- there's, uh, there's some good teams right there in the mix. Um, great, great year of college basketball so far. I'm excited. I uh, appreciate everybody tuning in. No, it's been a long show, but we had a lot to get out cause it was a jam packed weekend of good college basketball. Appreciate everybody tuning in and we will see you later in the week.
Thanks again to our friends at FanDuel. Must be 21 or older and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG. In Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit CCP org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.